Hello, everyone, and welcome to this special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. It's so good to be with you again today. Today, we're going to be going up into the Salt and Light Hour attic, and we're going to be bringing down some of our favorite conversations from the spring of 2021. We begin by speaking with Jennifer Hubbard, who tells us how she found sanctuary after losing her daughter in the Sandy Hook school shooting. You don't want to miss that conversation. And then we will meet the singing duo Onward and Upward Worship. In our second half hour, we speak with producer, director, and actor Nick Loeb about the new Roe v. Wade film. And at the end of the program, we have a featured conversation with Canadian singer-songwriter Steve Bell. You also don't want to miss that conversation. Remember that you can listen to all our programs at slmedia.org slash podcast. And to comment on what you hear or to ask any questions, you can look for me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. It's Deacon Pedro. You can also email me, pedro, at slmedia.org. We begin now with Finding Sanctuary After Sandy Hook. Jennifer Hubbard's life changed forever on December 14th, 2012. That day, her six-year-old daughter, Catherine, was killed along with 19 other children and six adults in a mass shooting at her school, Sandy Hook Elementary. Though Jennifer's world came to an end that morning, she instinctively held on to her faith, eventually founding an animal sanctuary in Catherine's memory. She tells her story of suffering and redemption in her book, Finding Sanctuary, How the Wild Work of Peace Restored the Heart of a Sandy Hook Mother. It is an important read for everyone, and especially for anyone struggling with the inability to trust in the goodness of God. And to tell us more, I'm now joined by Jennifer Hubbard. Jennifer, thank you so much for uh, coming on the show today. Welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thanks for having me. Um, our... our uh, our listeners can't see you, but I see that there's a photo of Catherine behind you. Can you tell us, <laughs> tell us about Catherine? I, I, her, her bright red hair really stands out. What was she mm-hmm. like? Catherine was a, um, she was one of these creatures that was incredibly shy to the outside world, um, but just magnetic and bold and bright to those people that um, she opened up to. Uh, so I remember her as just fiercely determined, um, but hugely passionate and compassionate, um, full of love for creatures, all creatures, uh, whether it was her family or friends or um, the animals that she seemed to surround mm-hmm. herself with. Um, she just, she lived life. I think as we all, I think as we're supposed to live life. Yeah, to the full. Um, she loved animals. Because um, so, I was going to ask you, how did you come up with the idea of the animal sanctuary? But I think it's clear that she loved animals. Yeah. But just because she loved animals is not enough to inspire you to, for this the animal sanctuary. So tell us how that inspiration came about. Mm-hmm. So the animal sanctuary came as a, uh, it was a typographical error in her obituary. Um, okay. We had to, after she died, um, you go through the motions and I think that they're purposeful. I think that those mm-hmm. right, the right of mm-hmm. burial, um, mm-hmm. provides purpose in days mm-hmm. where you, you can really get lost. Yes. So, um, 
we were asked to write an obituary. I sat down at the computer and wrote the obituary. And, you know, as in any, any, um, any obituary, it's, you know, what are you going to do in lieu of flowers? <laughs> she was six. Like, right. She doesn't have a cause. But the reality is that she does. Everybody's got a cause. It's whatever your heart is. Mm-hmm. And so Catherine's heart was animals. And we felt like a great um, celebration of her life would be to honor the animals that she loved. Catherine loved to go to the transfer station because that's where the animal control center was. Okay. Um, so I had said, like, let's make contributions in Catherine's memory to the animal control center. I left out the word control. Um, and it turned out that there was actually an animal center. Okay. Um, they were a rescue group and they received a significant amount of contributions. I believe that was the first move that God made um, in our path of healing. So the contributions went to the animal center. They came to us. They said, we've received a significant amount of money. What do you want to do with it? I, I had no idea. Catherine loved animals and mm. I loved Catherine. So I just wanted to honor <laughs> her spirit. So um, I said, I have no idea. You tell me. Wonderful. And they said, how about a sanctuary in the truest um, essence yeah. of a sanctuary, a place of, of healing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we set out on that path and in the midst of building the sanctuary, I found sanctuary. I found God. Um, I found myself. Well, I want to, I mean, I wanted to, to, to ask you more about that because, and I know, and I'm sure you know too, many parents who lose children to tragedies, any tragedy are, are, are never able to recover. Um, yeah. um, so tell me about finding, find, finding, about you finding sanctuary. Yeah, I really, I had, um, I had a, a strong faith going into Catherine's death. Um, mm-hmm not nearly what it is today. And what I hope not nearly is what it's going to be in 10 years. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like I was positioned um, where I was in order to settle in um, and draw on some of the habits and, and things that had formed before she died. So something as simple as prayer in the Mm -hmm. morning Um, before Catherine died, it was a a five, 10 minute. Now, let me, let me dig into, to, the dig into scripture or right. you know books that I was reading, um, and after Catherine died, I found myself really being drawn to you know the kitchen table. There there was no there was no epiphany of like you know there's no Hollywood moment of that you know you sort of come to this place. But I found right. myself sitting at the kitchen table and being drawn further and further in. So ten minutes then became an hour, and in that stillness of um, just sitting with the grief of, of losing Catherine and um, beginning to recognize those small places where God is. Uh, I think I've come to a place where, you know, God's presence, God's direction is with us and around us. And it's really up to us to still ourselves long enough Mm -hmm. to recognize it. You, you, in the title of the book, you refer to the wild work of peace which i think refers to to also keep giving yourself something to keep you busy 
but not to distract you, but to actually focus your, your energy. Why, why is it the wild, the wild work of peace? <laughs> because it's not, it is the, the whole, this whole journey of healing has not been what I expected. If it, mm. what I would have thought, um, I write about it in the book that I often thought, where would my place be that I would run to when the world became messy and clunky, where would I run to? And would it be the beach or would it be a cliff? And it was my, it was my kitchen table, mm -hmm. um, you know, of mm -hmm. all places, not at all dramatic. <laughs> no, but, but comfortable. Yeah. But home. comfortable home. Yeah. Um, and I think that in grieving, it's, it's wild and it's work. It is, it is striving to find and discover, um, our own heart and recognizing and, and dealing with the darkness and the, the, the struggles that come with grieving, not curling up in a ball mm -hmm. um, and coming to a place of um, acknowledging our hearts um, and acknowledging the one who can heal our hearts. It's right. work. It, yeah. But it's, it's wild work. work. And it reminds me of, it reminds me of the Holy spirit. I think is the wild the wild work of the Holy Spirit. Um, it, this has been a, a tough year for a lot of people. There's been a lot of, of, of lo loss of loved ones, loss of all kinds of other losses. Um, there's also, um, you know, parents who've lost children. What, what do you say to that parent who is listening right now that is struggling with anger, with, with, with uh, bitterness, with mm -hmm. just, just deep, deep grief? What, what, do, you, mm -hmm. what do you tell them? to acknowledge it, um, to not run from it. You can try and you can run from it. You can try to curl up in a ball and hope everything goes away. Um, you can shake your fist at anger and expect that a debt that's due to you is going to be repaid. And none of those things are going to take away the pain. Um, but what will is when you acknowledge that you are disappointed that you are sad, that you are lonely, when you can really settle into those and offer them, offer them to, um, to God and allow God to take them. And, and, and not, not in a, not an accusatory way, but in a transparent and authentic way to be able to say to God, I am lonely and I need you. Um, and allowing that, that space, that stillness that I, that I spoke about earlier, um, where he can, where he can meet us. And it may not be in, in a way that we would expect or anticipate. It may be in the stillness of recognizing a friend or, a, or a sunset or um, a memory that comes to heart and, and just allowing ourselves to, to feel those moments and not, not begrudge them or, mm -hmm. or push them aside or, or think that, you know, it's anything other than what it is. And that's God reaching out to us right. and the spirit moving to gather us in. Yeah. And not, and not think that not being angry means that you're not honoring your child or, or, yeah. or that it's okay. What happened to them? Um, Jennifer, yeah. thank you so much for sharing your story. I'm sure that I know that writing the story was probably important in your healing, but I'm sure it wasn't easy. Um, but it's an important read, not, not just for parents who've lost children, but, but also, I mean, anyone struggling with forgiveness or guilt or, or anger at yeah. God, 
So thank you so much. Um, and, uh, and, and continue the good work that you're doing at the animal sanctuary. <laughs> thank you. You have an intercessor in heaven for, for you and for all those animals. I pray. Yes. Thank you. Jennifer Hubbard is the president and executive director of the Catherine Violet Hubbard Animal Sanctuary. She is also the author of Finding Sanctuary, How the Wild Work of Peace Restored the Heart of a Sandy Hook Mother, published by Ave Maria. You can learn more about the Animal Sanctuary at cvhfoundation.org. And if you missed any part of this conversation or to listen to it again, visit us at slmedia.org podcast. Here now is Onward and Upward Worship with Even Still from their album, Sanctuary. Chained to my body, my soul. 
That was Onward and Upward Worship with Even Still from their album Sanctuary. Now, last summer, I had the chance to meet Ashley Dean, a singer-songwriter and worship leader from Atlanta. And I was pleased to learn that she was part of a project called Onward and Upward Worship, a group that she formed with her worship partner, James Perkins. And as we've been listening, their music is rooted in that acoustic style of worship that is so conducive to creating a prayerful space in any retreat, conference, or even a concert. And so I'm very happy to have James Perkins and Ashley Dean joining us now. Uh, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour, guys. It's good to see you. Hey, thanks, thanks for having you. us. Yeah. Good to see you again, Ashley. Um, so how did you guys, I'm curious, how did you guys begin doing music together? It was your idea, Ash. Oh, well, well, originally, originally was back in high school. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> so you were in high school together. Yeah. Well, well yeah. so me and my wife are high school sweethearts and I met Ashley through my wife, Maggie. Okay. Uh, so we've, we've been doing worship together since we were 16, 17 years old oh, yeah. um, over at St. Mm -hmm. Anne's in Marietta. And, you know, we mm -hmm. were having shows and coffee houses and no one came. No it was one, just no us. <laughs> But it was yeah. fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we uh, we reconnected after college. Um, actually, yeah. I was up in St. Louis and she called me one day and was like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we could have like a worship band and just kind of like laid out this vision that had been uh, in prayer. And I've been having the same kind of thoughts. And I think within a couple of months, we had both moved back to Atlanta. Within a month same, of each at other. At the same time. Yeah. From, for different job offers that... I mean, I turned my job down. Yeah. Times. So finally we <laughs> Just, were, we were in yeah. the same city. And so we were like, Hey, let's make this thing a reality. Okay, cool. Okay. So let me back up. So it, it was a Catholic high school that you went to. We went to different no. schools. Yeah, okay. We oh, so you weren't, okay. Yeah. Right. His wife uh, is my best friend from, you know, from fifth grade onward. Okay. Uh, I understand. I so he met her when she, so we were in the same youth group together yeah, okay. and she went to a different youth group to go to Steubenville and that's where <laughs> okay. they met. All right. And then she brought him to, to our youth group. So it's it all around a youth group. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I understand. I understand. And so I'm assuming that you both were Catholic. You grew up Catholic. You were sort of mm -hmm. part of a youth group. You never had yeah. sort of that, you know. Okay. And, and I heard Steubenville's there somewhere. So did you both? No, you didn't both go to Steuben. You went to Steubenville, Ashley, didn't you? Um, for, uh, I mean, back then I, I had never gone. You, you yeah, went. Yeah. Yeah. I, I went to Steubenville. Uh, oh, this was sorry. This one we went as attendees. Yeah, well, as yeah. a student, like you went to Francis yeah. University, James. No, no, no. 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 So when, when so we were, oh, <laughs> I forgot. You're good. You're good. When we were high, when we were high school students, our youth groups went to the Steubenville oh, Atlanta the conference. Conference okay, yeah. over the summer, and uh, I understand. Okay, yeah. I get it. Yeah. I get it. I get it. Okay, okay. So you 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 reconnect. You you have this idea that comes to you in prayer. Let's do music together. Were you thinking, I, I guess, Ashley, were you thinking that it would be like, let's just, wouldn't it be fun to do like lead worship together and sort of do that, do retreats? Or were you thinking of recording? I mean, yes. Well, we're thinking of recording. I mean, we at least, I know that for me, I was writing, I was trying to write along with a song, Sanctuary, actually. And so that was the first yeah. song we started writing over Skype. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it was kind of the whole big thing, the whole thing that we're doing currently even of just, um, writing music of, of um, leading music at events and everything like that, of just engaging people in worship and, and what we, what we did at our coffee houses back in the day, um, but kind yeah. of just at a different level. And, uh, but better. with that same freedom. But better. Of, 
Yeah, but better. You know, better. <laughs> a, little, a little better after music school. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. tell me, tell me a little bit about that that writing music through Skype. I mean, uh, whether you do that now or or not, how how do you like how do you write together? Is it usually one of you does lyrics and music, or is it how, how does that collaboration work? Yeah, so we kind of have a system down now that we've yeah, been doing it. this for yeah. three, four, five years. Gosh, yeah. Long, five years. As, as onward and upward anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, normally, I kind of have uh, the first idea, um, whether it be uh, lyrics or the actual music first. It kind of depends on the song. Um, but I'll have a general theme that I am working on. And then I normally just get to kind of a stopping point of my own ability. And I'm like, I got to get Ashley's eyes and ears on this. And so I bring it over to Ash and I'm like, hey, I know this has good bones, but right now it kind of stinks. So can you, (laughs) what can we do about it? And so what she'll do is she'll whip out the Bible. She'll whip out her own prayer journal. And then sure enough, nine times out of 10, there's something going on in her life in her own prayer life and her own music that she's Mm -hmm, been writing. mm -hmm. And it fits exactly with that theme. And then we have a complete song all together. Yeah. And so it's just kind of about That's digging, crazy. digging up in our own prayer lives. What is, what is the Lord doing and what is the spirit kind of trying to say? And then, you know, we put the two halves together and it makes a whole picture. Yeah. So, so the three, well, the two songs that we heard already and the third song that we're going to hear later, those, those were sort of written that way. Exactly. You also wrote a mass setting. What, we did. Was it the same process there? Like what it made you think, oh, we need Actually, a mass yes. Yeah, yeah, it, it was, but it also went back to kind of the first time we were writing because we wrote the whole thing over quarantine. So oh, wow. we all of a sudden we were writing over FaceTime and Skype again, just like we were when we first started because yeah. we couldn't be in the same room together. Mm-hmm. But I had a, a uh, kind of a theme in my head for what the Gloria should sound like that I've been working on for a couple of years. And with, you know, several months in quarantine, I was like, look, we've got some time. Let's actually... Um, get it together and write it out. So we paired up with um, Matt Lewis, who's an amazing composer and arranger. And uh, he just like really helped us bring the vision to life. And it took several months and a lot of reiterations, Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. but it's called The Massive Ascent and uh, it's available through Liturgy Resources. Mm -hmm. It's out. Yeah, Yeah. through Novum. Yeah, through Novum uh, Publishing and Liturgy Resources. Uh, Yeah, that's great. why onward and upward? Where does that name come from? <laughs> Sounds like it's I always feel I hear that and I think that we're going sailing or something. <laughs> I feel like you should. Uh, kind of. So our initial idea um, when trying to name our ministry, we had been leading worship at several events and we were um, at the point where we were, we were gaining a little bit of notoriety and making a little bit of money. And so we wanted to uh, make it a business, make it an actual ministry that we could um, put a branding to and and have people associate with us. And so our initial like idea, Ashley and James, you know, yeah, it's, so like, it's like, like, we need a little something that's like, Oh, that's, that's yeah. them who's coming. And there's, and there's, other, like... there's other people involved with Onward and Upward. It's not just us. Yeah, we have, yeah. we have yes. our band. We have, and that was the big idea. You yeah. know, mm-hmm. so the, the idea was using Frasati's motto of to the heights. Uh-huh. Um, that's kind of like, we want to take people higher and lift and lift up, um, you know, people's minds and hearts to God. And so to the heights was already taken. <laughs> so we yeah. were like, well, what's another kind of phrase that means that? And we're both big Narnia fans. And I was like, well, in Narnia, yeah. they talk about um, onward and upward to Narnia in the north. And I yeah. was like, well, let's let's try that out. And yeah. it, you know, it's kind of a two-word phrase, and we're two people. And so people, especially teenagers, they ask <laughs> us all the time, who's onward and who's upward? Ooh, that's, you should have t-shirts made. 
I know. Yeah, yeah. I know. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we've decided that Ashley is onward and I am upward. Mm-hmm. I'm taller. He's taller. That's, mm-hmm. yeah. and, then, <laughs> and then over the, only recently though, over, a couple of summers ago, a kid pointed out that um, onward and upward form a cross oh, in direction. Yeah. And I was like, cool. Oh, awesome. Nice. Okay. Wow. <laughs> it yeah, wasn't it intentional, is. but it ends up right. working That's pretty exactly well. what you had in mind when you came up with that name, right? Yeah, That's totally. Exactly it. totally. Okay. So, so you guys are working, you're hoping to record a new album and that's going to be recorded live. Uh, yeah, October. Tell us quickly about that and see if some of our listeners might are in the area. They could uh, maybe. Yeah, maybe so we're we're going to be up in Athens, Georgia, in October, October twenty third, and we are recording a live album. We've got a special batch of songs that um, are very much more geared toward worship um, as opposed to liturgy or just kind of you know uh, listening on the radio. And we decided that, you know, these songs, instead of trying to go into the studio and put a bunch of production into songs, that is not a song's final form. The final form of a song is when you actually play it with people in the context of worship. So let's capture that and share that with our community and our and people in our sphere of influence and really show them the, the beauty that these songs can do and what the Lord and what the Holy Spirit is doing in our life specifically. And so it's going to be a ticketed event on October 23rd at Tweed Recording in Athens. We'll be posting it all over everything. We'll have a big social media campaign about it. Yeah, and, uh, good. More details are to come. Excellent. Yeah. So October 23rd, I'm sure that a lot of people can come out by then. Uh, you guys are pretty much open now. Yeah. Um, yeah. October 23rd. So a lot of that information will be on your website and social media soon. That That's very cool. Maybe, maybe I can go to Georgia. Yeah, come on over. <laughs> Anyway, guys, it's been really good meeting you, uh, um, meeting you, James, seeing you again, Ashley, and and learning about what you do. Um, and I'm looking forward to that to that new album. Maybe that's another excuse to have you guys come back on the program and we can listen to some more of your music. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm happy to do Love it. To be there. All right. We'll take care, guys. All right. Thank you. All right. Thank you, you so much. Onward and Upward Worship is James Perkins and Ashley Dean. You can find all about them at their website, onwardandupwardworship.com. If you missed any part of this conversation or to listen to the rest of the program, you can stream or podcast all our Salt and Light Hour programs at our website, slmedia.org slash podcast. Here now to take us out is Onward and Upward Worship with Proclaim from their album, Sanctuary. Dark and formless, you made it whole. Earth was empty, you made it full all things great and small belong to you Desert's cry out.
canyons run dry, waters rush in and bring new life. All things old and new belong to you. listening to Onward and Upward Worship with Proclaim from their album Sanctuary. This is a special best of edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. You can check us out at slmedia.org slash podcast. of our God and King Lift up your voices with us Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. I think most of us have heard about Roe v. Wade. That was the 1993 landmark Supreme Court decision that legalized abortion in the United States. But for most of us, that's all we know. Do we know who Jane Roe was? Do we know what the exact ruling was and on on what basis were abortion laws struck down? The real story is a fascinating and complicated one of manipulation, activism, and some would say conspiracy. What is true is that It is a controversial story. Roe v. Wade is now the title of a new film, written, produced, and directed by Nick Loeb, who also plays the lead character from whose point of view the film is narrated, Dr. Bernard Nathanson. And so to tell us more, I'm now joined by Nick Loeb. Nick, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. So you wrote the film, you produced it, you directed it, you play the lead role. So it seems like this film is personal for you. Well, I mean, you know, uh, I think it's personal for a lot of people. I think anybody who cares about the story. Um, but um, no, I, you know, I, I think it was, um, it was a very difficult story to tell. Mm-hmm. There was a tremendous amount of research that had to go into it. And, um, and for someone, I mean, I ended up, I wrote the script and I think it would be very challenging for anyone else to direct it um, right. Given the amounts of years of research that went into this, uh, to truly understand the characters that were involved in the, right. and, and everything that happened. Right. So tell us a little bit about uh, the character you play, uh, Bernard or Bernard Nathanson. Um, is would you say that the film is really his story? <clears throat> I mean, it's a little bit of his story. I mean, I, there, we we sort of touch on everybody's story in there. So Bernard, um, you know, when when movies are made not unlike documentaries where you can tell us about a certain event uh, that's ha- happened when you actually tell uh, a, a movie or a narrative feature film, mm-hmm. uh, you have to tell it with characters, right? People yep. want to follow a storyline through characters. And so we felt that Bernard Nathanson was the best person to tell this story. And the reason is we wanted to have some sort of balanced approach 
And Bernard really was on both sides of the argument. He was instrumental in getting the laws passed as one of the founders of the National Association of Repeal Abortion Laws. He was the biggest abortionist in American history, uh, overseeing over 70,000 abortions, and then later in his life converted and, and became mm-hmm. pro-life after being pro-choice. So you could see both sides and he could tell the story from, from both points of view. And I think that was sort of interesting um, to, to have that narrative. Um, and he's the one who came out and admitted all of the things that they did and the truth that happened. And, and I think we found the most information with Bernard. And I guess he also gives you uh, uh, that point of view that allows you to net to, to have that narrator. Cause you chose to wrote it so that it, the, a lot of the film is narrated clearly from his point of view, were those quotes or things that he says taken from things he's written. Yeah, A lot of it was taken from his interviews, his books. I mean, I would say, the majority of the dialogue in the movie uh, is literally word for word, whether they, not even just for him, from everybody, whether it come from transcript or uh, books or letters or speeches or interviews. Uh, we wanted to be as accurate as possible uh, when making this movie because it was so controversial. We knew we were yeah. getting any criticism. Yeah, it is controversial. Now, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you've said that, that you don't think that it's necessarily a pro-life film, that you're trying to take a balanced approach. But that that you just laid out the facts right so but i think it's hard to watch it and not notice all the pro-life or anti-abortion arguments that are being laid out throughout the film um and i i would say that that's done on purpose do you think that had some of those arguments been presented in the actual court case roe v wade would have had a different outcome you know i i don't know um and i i think i think the challenge at the time well first of all the conspiracy with the court case is that uh, the whole court case was bizarre, and yeah. and um, it, it literally went from <clears throat> you know a three ring circus with three judges listening to something in Texas with no witnesses, no evidence, no testimony, mm-hmm. <clears throat> no appeals, <clears throat> and all of a sudden automatically to the Supreme Court again with no evidence, no witnesses. It was just two people arguing with nothing, and then decided. And um, yes, if there was evidence and all of that introduced. Would have it changed? I don't know because I think at the time, you know, people don't realize that during the time there was such a massive movement going on in America at the time, which was the women's movement, and really had a tremendous impact and influence, completely orchestrated by the media that influenced the judges into their decisions. I mean, the judges even changed their decisions based on the media and the pressure they got from the media and the family when deciding on this case. Again, that again, that had nothing to do with law facts evidence or testimony right so yeah and i think people would say that it was a, a political a political case um one of the things i i appreciated about all the, some of those arguments or, or one of the way you chose to tell the film is that it's that you make it clear that the unborn human is a person and i think that's a fairly recent thing in the pro-life arguments um that that's really the argument that, that it's not whether it's a life or a human being it, it's whether it's a person and whether that person is protected by the constitution, do you do you think that that's the real question here? That that's what's at stake? Well, I mean, I think legally, sure. I mean, if you want to, you know, follow the constitution, but if you know, you know, I don't think you need personhood. I mean, I think personhood no. is a great argument. The justices talked about personhood during <clears throat> during the case in 1970, 71 and 72. Uh, and they brought up those questions. Those questions were addressed then. Yeah. Um, but if you look at our preamble, I mean, we have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right to life, doesn't say, you know, um, and so I think that 
Yeah, sure. I mean, it, it, it's, it, I think it's semantics. I think it's, it's playing. Okay. No, that's fair. That's fair. What our law, what our law does and, and what our legal system always does. And sure. A person is a, a person is a person. A person is a life. A person is a human being. I mean, yeah, yeah. You know, to say a person is not that is is he, just you know, just playing just playing with words to get what you want. Yeah, here the reason why I'm asking is because here in Canada, of course, we've been having the same conversations forever. And the, the distinction that the Canadian Charter of Rights makes is that yeah, it's a human being, but a human being does not have rights until they are born. At that moment, they become a person. So it's it's semantics or arbitrary. But, but it seems that that is the big argument here, that if it can be proven that, a, that an unborn person is a person, and I, and I agree with you, whenever you met a human being that's not a person. Um, um, I mean, and, and, and at the end of the day, <clears throat> if you say they're not a person, I mean, I mean, what are they? I mean, they're, what are they? Yeah. Human being, what are they going to become? I mean, they're not going to become a giraffe. No, no. It's a, I mean, it's, yeah, yeah. Whether a human being cannot be a person protected by the law. And that's the distinction. And I was... Uh, I was surprised to hear in the film that it sounds like the U.S. Constitution did protect or does protect unborn persons. Well, the unborn persons actually, interestingly enough, are protected in a tremendous amount of states in the United States for many other different things, with the exception of abortion, whether it's yes, the unborn victims of rights, yep. court law. I mean, they're protected today. I mean, imagine um, if 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 I'm driving drunk. Uh, and I hit a pregnant woman. Yes. Uh, and I kill her and her baby. I can go to jail for killing two people. Yes. Well, why if it's not a person? Yes, you're right. Yes. Yes. So it's either. I mean, I think you have to decide. It's it's either it's either a person in, in all cases, or it's a, well, not a person in all cases. And exactly. I think you can't choose. And that's and that's where the the challenge of the law is. But I think, um, you know, I think the challenge is most people back then didn't even realize it was a human being hence not a person because we didn't have the technology back then to right. really understand and even when i grew up in the 80s and the 90s i didn't have access to the internet or technology and i was just taught it was a clump of cells and there was no human being yes i know i know a lot of people still hear that um I think it's obvious what what your hope is for the film. You want people to watch it. You want people to to listen to to the facts and and go and find out more. You actually have a fact check, uh, fact check uh, uh, section on your website. Um, do you think that Roe v. Wade needs to be retried in court? That it needs it needs another chance. Well, you know, I don't. I you know, in our our constitutional system, we don't sort of retry these types of cases. It'll be another case that would attack Roe. Right. Um, and I think it'll happen. I think it will come one day. I think if you take a look at today's youth in America, that has been, although they are the most progressive youth we've ever had in American history, they are actually trending more conservative on the life issue. Yes. And the reason that's happening today is because of technology. Yes. Uh, and I do have to, out of all the the progressive ideals that I have um, today in our country that I have the, the actual hope of changing. I think, I think the abortion issue will change in our lifetime. And I think it will be, become illegal because it's a human being, it's a life and, and people are realizing that. And, yes. and that's, that's going to slowly change. Yeah, I think you're right. I agree with you. And, and whether it becomes legal or illegal, I think it'll become unthinkable because that's people realize what what's really at stake nick thank you so much thank you for speaking with us today thank you for making the film i i, I hope there's more to come from you and uh and i hope that a lot of our listeners are at least intrigued enough to look it up and and uh and uh objectively watch the film and well yeah well listen it's, as you said in the beginning of your podcast 
You know, Roe v. Wade is a court case that everyone has heard of, but nobody really knows anything about. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, I think it's, you know, really interesting for people to have an opportunity to find out what the movie's about by, you know, going to, you know, Amazon or iTunes and watching the movie. Exactly. So that's uh, what we hope people will do. Nick, thank you so much. Uh, thank you for so much for, again, making the film and telling us about it today. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Nick Loeb is the co-writer, producer, and director of the new film, Roe v. Wade. You can watch Roe v. Wade now streaming on various platforms, and you can find out more at roevwademovie.com. If you missed any part of this conversation or to listen to the rest of the program, just head on over to slmedia.org podcast. And here now is our featured artist of the week, Steve Bell, with Because We Hunkered Down from his new album, Wouldn't You Love to Know? These bleak and freezing seasons may mean grace When they are memory In time to come, when we speak truth They'll take their place Telling the story Of our journey Dark January With all his disappointments And the dreary work Of February When even breathing seems to be Unwelcome work That was Steve Bell with Because We Hunkered Down from his latest album, Wouldn't You Love to Know? 
We first met Steve Bell in December 2018, but of course, I had heard of Steve Bell some 20 years ago, as he is perhaps Canada's best well-known Christian troubadour. Over his 25-year career, Steve has published some 25 albums. In 2018, he authored a series of books, Pilgrim Year. That's why we featured him on the Sultanite Hour. Now Steve has a new album, Wouldn't You Love to Know? And wouldn't you love to know why he chose that title? I'm sure that'll be the first question we ask him. It's a classic, you know, it's classic Steve Bell with powerful lyrics inspired by poetry, scripture, and life experiences set to beautiful music with that homey acoustic feel. And so I'm very, very happy to welcome Steve Bell back to the Salt and Light Hour. Steve, it's good to see you again. You too, Pedro. Thank you. So yeah, wouldn't you love to know where what, what, what how did, well that is the title track. So there's a track. So why did, where does that title come from? It, it actually came from a uh, there's a, a N.T. Wright who's an English uh, oh, yeah. theologian. Yeah, uh, he wrote. I just was I just kind of follow him online. I often read his sermons, and there was uh -huh. a, there was a, I saw online this title to a sermon that he preached somewhere, and the title was "Wouldn't You Love to Know," and and I thought. Well, yes, I would love to know. I'm not sure what the, you know. I'm not sure what about, but so, and so, and it was kind of because, and so the actual just that that title made me want to read like what is he talking about? And right. of course, it ended up being a, a discussion of epist um, I think it's called epistemology. Yeah, like how do we know things? How do we yeah. actually? How do we know things? And in the modern world, we think of knowing things from the scientific method. Yeah, uh, we think of it as being you know like you you apply these scientific things to something, you come to know it, and then you can. Yeah you can build on that knowledge and do stuff with it. Um, right. And, but but he says that there's an older way of knowing that that actually is more accurate and that he, he basically made the point that we don't really ever know what we don't first love. Oh. Um, and that true knowledge of a thing is preceded by love of the thing. Yes. That you can't know what you don't love. So we're not talking about, I mean, I can tell you things about my wife that are true, mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean you know her. No. Right. Uh, if you want to know Nancy Bell, you kind of have to love her. Yeah. Otherwise, she's never going to let you in on on the truth of who she is. Right. Right. Yeah. You know. Um, true. But you, I, I can give you enough information that you could recognize her at the airport, um, but mm -hmm. you don't know her. To yeah. know her, you must love her. And so yeah. he would he would apply the same principle to pretty much all things in, in yeah. creation. Yeah, and I um, guess it makes sense yeah. with even talking about Jesus. A lot of people know a lot about Jesus. Yes, but if they exactly. don't know Jesus, you don't have a personal relationship. Right. Then well, what exactly. good is all that knowledge? Yeah. And when you hear, say, for example, non-Christians or, or people who are not committed to Christ um, describe um, Christianity from an outsider's viewpoint, they always get it, get it wrong, even if their facts are right. Yes, yeah. And it's, be and, and it's because yeah. of that. They can't know. It's not, it's not that they refuse to or they're stupid. It's that love precedes knowledge. And if you don't yeah. love it, you just don't know it. Yeah. Now, would you, I always, I'm always intrigued as to how uh, songwriters, like how, how do you decide which is the title of the actual album? And quite often, as, as you know, as you did this time, it's, it's a, there's a song. Would you say that that, like, why did you pick that as the album title? Would you think that that kind of summarizes because you have songs about family and about climate change and about yeah. suffering and yeah but they're but they're all they all sort of fall under this this category so even like climate change you know they, they you know for, for one if, if you don't if you don't love god's earth yeah you know, you, okay. you're not you're not going to really get involved you know okay. if you don't do you know what i mean if you don't yeah. love these yeah. things and so it really does i think most of the songs um do sort of come out of that basic 
here's sort of a, um, uh, a worldview or a, a founding principle from which everything else flows. Yeah, that, okay. That we start it. with love. I get it. Um, I get it. And so I think that's why. And also then just from a marketing standpoint, it's cute. No, yeah, it is. It's yeah, clever. Like, like, it just, yeah, yeah, it's just clever. There's, so so and clever always sort of works a little bit. You That's don't not be the too... answer I was looking for. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but, you know, it's, it's funny because, you know, when I, whenever I do an album, I mean, I sometimes there's an obvious, to me, um, an obvious theme, and that ends up becoming the album title. Yeah. But sometimes there's just, there's a phrase in a, in a song lyric or there's a, a song title that just it flows well in the tongue. It sort of gives an indicator, and, and so I just pick it because it sounds right or feels right. Yeah, this yes, one right. Just felt right to yeah, me. Yeah, it feels right. So, so, but I, but I like what you said first that that it's all about. I mean, it's really all about love. So even a song like, in praise of decay. Yeah. Um, it's about. Would you say it's about love or you know the beautiful blessing of bearing? It's, that's not the song love. title, but you know it's all about love. You know, how do we love suffering? How do we love letting go of things so that new things can come out of that? Yeah. Yeah, and 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 so if 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 love is the is the is the is the prerequisite to knowledge, um, then then the the key work is love. Yeah. Right, and that should be our number one thing. And now now in an age of increasing um, ac- uh, um, anxiety and anger, yeah, and polarization, um, mm. these are the kinds of things that we need to be hearing right now. Right. You know, so if you're a conservative. Mm-hmm. You you have nothing to say about liberals if you don't love them. Huh. Not, you know, yeah. if you're a liberal, you yeah. have nothing to say about conservatives yeah. if you don't love them. That's good advice. Yeah. yeah. And, and and see, what we're, we're always trying to do is like, what's wrong with those people? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, if like how could they be so stupid? You know, how can, you know, rather than saying like, that's, but my, my, I don't think Christ calls us to figure other people out first no. and foremost. No. I think what he, we're... Those who love know God because God is love. Yeah, right. Yeah, um, interesting. Right? And so it's it's that's John. That's gospel. I'm, that's not Steve. Yes, you know that's yeah. Um, yeah. that's know. that's that's from the the apostle. It's not. Yes. that's not my 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 opinion about something. And it's so true in this yeah. in, in this particular age, and especially where we've got increasing divisions in society, uh, for Christians in particular, I think we've got to ask the question: What does love look like in in this situation? Before mm-hmm. we speak, before we engage. Um, and if I don't love the other, I probably shouldn't be speaking about them as if, so, I, as if I know them. Did you, I mean, it's, it seems so simple and obvious, but of course it's like, wow, why didn't I think of that before? Did you, did you come to that realization in working through the album? Does the fact that we were in lockdown pandemic, did that have any influence in kind of you coming up with that simple, that nugget of wisdom? Well, I think well, no, it wasn't no, so much. I think because because a lot of this album was was created, and at least the songs were all written before COVID. Oh, really? Okay, yeah, I wanted to ask you a, about yeah because we hunkered it's, down. It's, yeah, it's, because we hunkered down sounds like I wrote this sounds like as COVID. No, no, yeah, I no. didn't. The, the lyric um, is comes from a, a poem that Malcolm Guyte wrote right several years ago. Okay, wow. Yeah. Under, you know, and so it. Um, yeah, I know people people have thought I've been so clever to put together such a great clear response to COVID <laughs> so quickly. And and these are just the songs that were in my back pocket when COVID Interesting. hit. Interesting. Um, the book that I wrote was all written in COVID. Yeah. And so there's a little bit more, you'll, it, 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 where I'm starting to realize that these things are, are connected. And some of the songs are prescient. They're almost prophetic. But well, um, that's, that's what I was going to say. Do you find yeah. that, I mean, even though the songs were written before, 
clearly this was the right time for this album to come together. Yeah, yeah. And I and, and I wouldn't I mean I'm not the kind of guy who goes, therefore I'm a prophet, you know, or <laughs> you know, or anything like that. But I, I do think that that I mean clearly um that 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 the arts and prophetic gifts are there's a there's some sort of connection in there. Yeah. Yeah. And that the artists yeah. you know their their radars are up in a way that other people's aren't. That doesn't make them special or smarter. It's just it's just it's this gift that they have. Mm-hmm. Um and so often you know, I've I've found that I've written songs, or friends have written songs, uh, and they're not fortune tellers. They don't know, um, but mm. the song knew more than they did. Yeah, and I and I have often yeah. found that my songs are wiser than I am. That my yeah. songs know things that I don't know. The song, um, yeah. the song write writes them. you. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And then and then the, then I go to my songs have often been my own mentors later. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I realize I've written songs. In, I wrote songs in my thirties that my fifty-year-old self needed to hear. Right. Yes, um, it's true. And I, I don't really, I mean, I, some people could theologically unpack that. I don't have those skills. It just is what it is. Yes, no. You know, and and yeah. I, I think it also show. I know you're being humble. It shows openness to the spirit, that the spirit is guiding what needs to be written when and when people need mm-hmm. to hear it. And, you know, um, and I think that you have an openness to that and that because you're an artist, but also because you're a Christian, because you're a man of prayer. Yeah. Um, and you're still only 30. What do you mean songs you wrote when you were 30? <laughs> <laughs> my, my, my fifth grandchild is, is, is coming, is, is going to, uh, is going to make an appearance in a couple of weeks. So <laughs> oh, wonderful. Congratulations. Anyway, Steve, um, congratulations on this album. Thank you for, for just what you continue gifting to the world. And uh, it, it's good to chat with you. Thank you for telling us about it today. I, I thank you for just even being interested. I'm I'm really honored that you would be. <laughs> Always interested. So keep on writing and we'll keep okay. you keep asking you questions about it. <laughs> thank you, man. Okay. All right, Steve Bell, thank you. You can learn all about Steve Bell and purchase his new album, Wouldn't You Love to Know, at his website, stevebell.com. If you missed any part of this interview, head on over to slmedia.org slash podcast. All our programs are archived there. Here now to take us out is Steve Bell with the title track of his new album, Wouldn't You Love to Know. If you have to love the truth Just to know if it is true Wouldn't you love to know If the essence of a thing Begs to hear your tender wooing Wouldn't you love to know If you can't know a part Without delighting in the whole Wouldn't you love to know If you'd never know a kiss without first cherishing the soul, wouldn't you love to know? To know as you are known, simply love as you are loved. Gently turn this fertile lawn to unearth fragrance of the lover's drug. listening to Steve Bell with Wouldn't You Love to Know from his album of the same name and that will take us to the end of this special 
best of edition of the Salt and Light Hour. Remember to check us out at eselmedia.org. That's where you can listen to all our programs. And uh, you can also find out everything you want to know about Salt and Light Media and how you can support our ministry because we cannot do our work without your support. I'd love to hear from you. Send me a note. Don't be shy. You can email me, pedro, at eselmedia.org. You can also find me on all social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I know you hang out there. So just look for Deacon Pedro and send me a note. Thank you for being with us today. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this has been a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. Wouldn't you love to